Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Family fishing weekend in Manitoba. Todd Longley, the rock and roll fisherman. I haven't talked to him in a long time, and then he was on a few weeks ago. And so, hey, here we are again, Todd, talking about uh, about fishing, which I know you love dearly. Oh, I love fishing, and it's part of my livelihood. Yeah. Uh, citycats.ca is the uh, the website. Have you uh, had any people book with you? I know last time you were on, you were talking about it being real slow with the uh, the catfish uh, uh, fishing. Have you had some people book the boat, and have you been getting out there? Absolutely. Uh, since I last talked to you, um, I'm getting about two to three trips a week, which is pretty good. Um, could use more, but people are slowly getting back out there and thinking about enjoying life again because everybody's saying, hold on to your money. Don't spend it now. This could have a second wave. And, you know, I don't know. I, I just want everybody, come on out. Let's go fishing. Let's enjoy life again. Yeah. And be safe about it. I know, I know you're doing all that stuff when, when people are on board as well. And, and I think you are right about, and I understand the people that say, you know, they're worried about a second wave or they, they don't want to take the chance. And But we we can get out there and do things safely again. And I, I think we need to find that middle ground, kind of get back at it, but at the same time be, be safe about it and, and be cautious. But I'm glad you're, you're getting, some, uh, getting some bookings. So um, family fishing weekend, I know several years ago you used to do a lot of fishing with kids and you were involved in a lot of events. This is a, a big weekend this weekend in Manitoba. Absolutely, and and actually, I'm still doing all all the programs with the kids like crazy. Good for you. Uh, this is the first year that I had to cancel, but we're still planning on doing one later on in the season. But right now, yes, uh, this is the weekend for families who have never tried fishing before to get out there and try it. It's free, and who doesn't like free? You don't have to buy a fishing license. Go out there with your kids. And enjoy our world-class fishery right here in Manitoba. The Red River, the Assiniboine, Lake Winnipeg, the White Shell, you name it. Go out, enjoy it. It's a family-free weekend. It's as easy as, as getting to one of the rivers if you're inside the city of Winnipeg. If you were uh, heading out for a few hours this weekend, tomorrow or on Sunday, and it's going to be nice, sunny, and mid to upper 20s, so uh, perfect weather. Uh, if you were heading out there and you had a few hours and you were taking a couple of kids, you were going out with the whole family, where would you go, what would you fish for, and how would you fish for it? Well, I would start off, if you're new to this, I would go to a fishing store, like, say, Cabela's, and then I would talk to the staff there because they they have their finger on the pulse, right? Like, they know what's going on because they're talking to all the fishermen. And they could, they could advise you. But myself, the Red River is an awesome fishery. You can catch giant channel cats, walleye, sauger, uh, drum bass, all kinds of stuff that will blow your kids' minds. And you're, you, you can do it in the city. We have an amazing fishery right here in the city. Or go out to Selkirk, Manitoba. There's tons of shoreline out there to, to fish. It, and you don't, you don't need much. A fishing rod, a pickerel rig, some sinkers, and some minnows or crawlers cast out, and you're guaranteed to catch something. And you can catch just about anything in the red. You talk about the Red River. I mean, you never know what you're going to pull out of there. <laughs> yeah, it's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And uh, how old were you when you started fishing, Todd? Like, how did how did you, as you mentioned at the start of this, this has become your livelihood. Like, obviously, it began as uh, you tried it, you liked it, it became a passion, and then you know, it's been many years now since you decided to make it your job, your career, your livelihood. Believe it or not, the movie Jaws got me pumped on fishing as a young kid. And uh, just all those people going out there trying to catch that monster shark. And I'm like, damn, I want to do that one day. Minus the loading the boat up too full where it sunk. But you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. it, 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 it's just, <laughs> as a kid, I just got so pumped. And uh, when I uh, started my first job, I met a guy... Uh, there at work and he, he used to go fishing down by the river in a van just like the saturday night live thing and uh we used to go fishing every <laughs> weekend then he bought a boat and i learned how to use the boat on the river and uh that was it i was hooked yeah hey i'm all about shameless plugs you mentioned cabela's i'm sure cabela's is one of your sponsors mention two or three of your sponsors here's your chance shameless plug todd for helping us out all the time oh of course of course, uh, Cabela's. I'd also like to give a big shout-out to Alumacraft Boats. They they take really, really good care of me. And, of course, uh, Creative Printall right now, who are taking care of uh, my T-shirts that I'm making. And one last one, if I could, Urban yep. Tactical. Amazing stuff. you got to go down there and check it out. Got to take care of the sponsors, man, especially in your business. I understand how that is, so I'm happy to give you the opportunity for a few shout-outs and, and some uh, some shameless plugs. What's the biggest uh, fish story you've got for us? You know, everybody's got the story about the big one or the big one that got away or the one that they caught, and it's always bigger than it really is. Tell me a couple of good fish stories uh, from Todd Longley's uh, career of fishing. The biggest fish story I have is I was out fishing with our uh, former GM of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Lyle Bauer, and yeah. we were in the bomber boat, and one of my customers put his rod down, and all of a sudden it shot out of the boat. And like I'm like, whoa. And I said, there goes 400 bucks. All of a sudden it comes back to the surface. Apparently this rod floats without even thinking I dove into the river as the rod went back under, and I got it underwater, swam to the surface, handed the rod to Lyle. Lyle handed it to the customer. The fish was still on the rod. The customer reeled it in, and only then, after the fish was in the boat, did they decide to get me back in the boat. That's my biggest fish story. (laughs) And what was it? What was on the end? It was the 22-pound channel cat. I still have the photos from that, me in the water, the customers posing with the fish with me drenched. Wow. And That's then I great. Soaked in or soaking wet right after that. <laughs> Have you, here's, uh, I'm fascinated uh, by a sturgeon, you know, and how, how big they can get and stuff. You've never hooked one of those, have you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have. And it was actually in a travel uh, uh, Manitoba publication about five or six years ago, uh, right on the Red River. We were fall walleye fishing and, I thought I had a monster walleye on it. I'm all pumped. And then this, this this brown thing leaps out of the water, and it was like probably about 40-something 40, 40 inches. It was so cool. And, uh, yeah, it was a big old sturgeon. Wow. Huh. 
Yep. Hey, I could sit here and talk. I, I love hearing these stories, and you've got so many. We'll have to have you back again soon. I'm, I'm glad we, re- we reconnected here a few weeks ago. We'll have you back on once in a while, man. You're a great storyteller, and you're a wonderful local guy, and uh, really appreciate your time again today, Todd. Thank you very much, Al. Al. I'm totally feeling the love. I love it, man. A Winnipeg lawyer, you've been hearing about this story uh, since yesterday afternoon on the news. Winnipeg lawyer filing a constitutional challenge calling on the province to expand the definition of a legal parent. She says Manitoba's current legislation is outdated, unconstitutional, and discriminatory for same-sex couples and couples struggling with infertility. Global News reporter Marnie Blunt has more now. (gasps) CJ! There are a few words to describe what parenthood means to Jill Stockwell and Courtney Maddock. We are the luckiest parents. But the path to becoming a parent wasn't an easy one. Like many same-sex couples, Jill and Courtney had to go through a time-consuming and costly process. When their daughter CJ was born, Jill couldn't be considered a legal parent without an adoption order, forcing her to essentially adopt her own child. It's the result of Manitoba legislation that forces many couples having children through assisted reproduction to go through costly court proceedings to simply become the parent of their own child. In our case, we have to take an extra step, and it's an extra step that is actually quite expensive. Now it's the crux of a constitutional challenge being filed by Taylor McCaffrey family and fertility lawyer Robin Kazina that calls on the Manitoba government to modernize how they define a legal parent like some other provinces have already done. Both Jill and Courtney are hopeful that this will prevent other couples from having to go through what they did on their journey to parenthood. Marnie Blunt, Global News. Thank you, Marnie, and that sets the stage perfectly for our next guest. Noreen Meehan is the Executive Director of the Rainbow Resource Centre. Uh, Noreen, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Hal. I'm sure as you were listening to Marnie's report there, you were nodding your head going, yeah, that's me, because you and your uh, partner Amanda are in the same situation. Yes, that's exactly right. Our daughter is two and a half now, and uh, she's my biological offspring, but my but Amanda has to adopt her, despite the fact that she has been parenting her for, for her entire life, her t- entire two and a half years. As we heard in, in Marnie's story, um, it's another step that other couples just don't have to deal with. That must be incredibly frustrating, not to mention, as, as Marty's story uh, pointed out, costly. It's costly, it's time-consuming, um, and I just think it's a reflection of the, the law not keeping up with the changing definition of families, the, uh, the evolving definition of families, and not recognizing uh, the technological advances that go into creating families uh, today. And it's not just for same-sex couples, although that's, I think, probably the majority of the population we're talking about. It mm-hmm. can also be for any couple who has used assisted reproduction, whether that's surrogacy or uh, sperm donation, ova donation. Um, there, there are different ways to create families uh, in 2020. And so that's what this this challenge is really trying to address, is that our families are already here. Uh, let's just... Let's ensure that there's equal access uh, for same-sex parents and parents that have used assisted reproduction to create to create their families. Sort of a shame, though, that it has to come to a constitutional challenge, right? That it and you would think yeah. that lawmakers would just kind of go, "Yeah, right, this makes sense." <laughs> I, I, I completely agree with you, and I wish that was the way. Uh, 
that we could address this. Just say, hey, hey, we're already here. Can you just make our lives easier? Um, but I think in your news report there, uh, the reporter mentioned that the law hasn't changed or this hasn't been looked at since 1987. So it just hasn't been on anyone's radar. Uh, but it is it is frustrating. That means since since 1987, uh, folks like myself have had to go through this additional process using courts. Um, and it can be emotionally draining, too, because it really ignores the intent to parent. And uh, it just boils down the role of a parent child relationship to biology and i think most people would agree that that doesn't necessarily make uh that that's the not the only definition of of parent lots of people are in children's lives who love them in different ways uh that could be a step parent that could be a a grandparent or aunt assuming custody um anyhow so this is just this is just a reflection of society changing and the law not keeping up with it so i'm glad that Mm -hmm. it is i'm glad that we're here yeah yeah. Um, when you began down this road, were you aware of this extra hurdle or did it come as a surprise to you? I was vaguely aware of it. Um, I was under the impression that it had been taken care of and that that was really enforced or rather informed by the fact that my partner's name is on our daughter's birth certificate. She has no biological connection to our daughter. Um, but I figured when I saw that, that, oh, there, there can't be any way that this, isn't the, that this isn't a legal document and therefore does not give my partner legal rights and decision-making power to, uh, related to our daughter. So it took uh, a couple conversations with a couple lawyers to figure out what the next steps were. Certainly, we have friends that have gone through this process, and we weren't sure if that was related to not being like to being in a common law relationship or not. Um, so we really had to seek out legal advice. So I, I guess to answer your question, yes, I was surprised because we are legally married. So again, I assumed that that would right. ensure full legal rights. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned costly and time consuming, like from start to fin, has that process happened for you? And, and how long did it take? Or if it hasn't happened yet, how long have you been at it? Uh, we've only just started, and it was just a question of getting around to it uh, on our part. Um, I don't, I can't give you an exact sense of how much it's going to cost. Uh, we were given the option of potentially waiting until the legislation changes, assuming that it does as a result of this process, uh, and we decided not to um, because the hearing is not set until November, and as we all know, things can be delayed, and then sometimes it takes time for for legislation to pass and for it to be uh, written into law. And we are also not sure if it's going to be retroactive. So will we have to go through this process in a year's time, even if the legislation has changed? Uh, So we just decided to act on it now uh, just to ensure that that should should something happen uh, where my my partner has to assume full legal responsibility for our daughter, that that can happen, that that is already in place. Noreen, I appreciate you telling us uh, your story, and and all the best to you and and Amanda. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity. Noreen Mian is the Executive Director of Rainbow Resource Center. Uh, She's joining us, though, uh, today and and told us about her and her partner, Amanda, uh, Amanda having to adopt their child. 11. We're going to break in a bit, but before we do, I want to bring in our next guest here, and I apologize, uh, Tracy, for making you wait on the line a bit, but we wanted to get Brittany on there with that story. Tracy Garbutt is uh, a friend of mine. Uh, he is blind. He is the program lead uh, for Foundation and Stakeholder Relations at the CNIB. Nice to uh, chat with you again, Tracy. How are you? Yeah, for, for, I'm good. Yourself? 
Excellent. Hey, I got an email. Uh, the reason you're on today, I got an email from Claude. Claude sent me an email, and, and he uh, as well uh, cannot see. And he said, you know, I'm ordering my food in. I'm, I'm managing uh, with right. the pandemic. But he said, when I do eventually head out, how am I going to see the arrows in the aisles in the stores? How am I going to see the signs? How am I going to know where the hand sanitizing station is? How am I going to know if I'm social distancing properly or not? And we're going to talk to somebody. Uh, so I thought about you, and, and that's why you're here. Uh, but also people who um, speech read, right, R- read a person's lips to understand what they're saying, people who can't hear or can't hear well, and everybody's yeah. walking around with a mask. So while we all have challenges during COVID-19, uh, they are extra for you. So so explain, answer Claude's email, because I, I, that's why I wanted to have you on. I want to help Claude. Yeah, well, I think a lot of the problem is you're right. I mean, we can't see how to social distance, and that's where we have to rely on the public to um, help us out as well. So it's, you know, no different than me walking down the sidewalk. I can't, you know, if I'm going to come too close to someone, you know, they, uh, uh, I'm hoping they will kind of move off to the side for me. I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but it does make it dif- difficult to social distance. It's, you know, you go into stores, you hope that someone can, can come close enough if they're wearing a mask i'm wearing a mask and they can say you know uh you're 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 coming close to other clientele or whatever but it's it's really got to be that verbal conversation a lot of the time to help everybody out and even just say hey yo you know what you're getting a little close you want to just hold up a second and it is it's very challenging i i haven't gone back into a mall or anything yet on my own so um when i do it's going to be interesting because my dog doesn't know how to social distance yeah um right and and so uh i think sometimes you know uh, people when they see somebody uh, who can't see when you know somebody who's blind or or somebody with a, a challenge like that i think sometimes our, our gut reaction is to you know just kind of get out of your way and but you you welcome that uh, verbalizing of hey you're getting a little closer you know that's fine for sure and i think we all have to be a little more understanding during this time so you know it's it's not a time to be maybe offended or not but it's really just to realize that everybody's trying to help everybody and if someone just you know realizes that you're getting a little bit too close it's okay oh you know what sorry you know you're you're getting a little too close you know it's uh not a real big deal at this point we all have to work together on this how are things going otherwise? What other challenges are you are you finding out there right now? Anything? Well, I mean, it is, like when I'm on the sidewalk, um, I can't tell where people are and coming up to bus stops. I still haven't been on a bus actually yet either. So that will bring on a challenge in its own because I have to touch things, uh, push the button to get off the bus. Um, I'm not going to see if someone's sitting a seat from me. So, again, it's um, making sure, you know, the bus drivers are actually really good. So they might say that the seat behind them or across from them is available and then there's no one within you know six feet of me but as things are opening up i do notice buses you know and people have told me they're getting a lot busier so um you know that's going to be a challenge cnib you got some fundraisers going virtual stuff or or what's happening over at uh, the cnib 
Well, we're doing a lot of virtual programs. Um, within that first month or so, we um, started about 300 virtual programs across Canada. We did our first um, inaugural uh, pup crawl, which really did well across Canada. And um, now it's just still reaching out to clients, making sure that they're getting what they need, and they get to learn a lot of different stuff as well. CNIB, great organization, and you're a great guy, Tracy. Thanks a lot for doing this. Stay safe. All right. Thanks, Al. Joining us now on the phone, Edna Peters. Edna is hard of hearing and a former speech reading teacher. Edna, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I appreciate it. And Cam, my producer, has been speaking with you, and Cam tells me that it is no longer referred to as lip reading. It's speech reading. So I appreciate you uh, helping me learn something new today. Well, thank you. Yes, that was one thing that I... I had to learn that, too, when I started to take a course to teach me how to teach, mm-hmm. teach others. Yeah. So you speech read. How has it been for you as you are out in public once in a while and some people have masks on? That must be difficult for you. You can say that again. And when somebody has um, an accent, it makes it doubly different, uh, difficult because... Uh, you rely so much on uh, on lip reading when someone has an accent, and uh, so now when you're speech reading, you're watching eyes and you're watching, uh, you know, hand gestures, but you haven't got the most important part, the lips to check on. Yeah, and you're hard of hearing, so you have the ability to hear somewhat. Uh, but a- as you point out, if somebody's got a mask on and maybe they're, you know, originally from Australia or have a an accent of some kind or another, yeah, that would be very difficult. Yes, uh, I I know German as well, and sometimes when my German friend, friends switch uh, their language on me, I I don't get what they're saying, and I say. Oh, I was listening in English. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's your best advice then for, for people that find themselves in that situation, hard of hearing, or rely somewhat on reading a person's lips or watching their, reading their speech? What, how, how do you compensate? I think it's very important for people not to be shy to say, I'm hard of hearing. If you would speak slower... I will understand you better. That's, yeah, uh, it's, it's 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 as simple as uh, it's as simple as that. And Tracy said the same thing. Tracy from uh, Tracy Garbett a moment ago from CNIB said the same thing that uh, you, you just rely on people to be more, um, uh, you know, more willing to help and explain and understand that uh, you know sight and and hearing, if you're limited in those areas, is is an extra challenge during the pandemic. That's right, it is. And uh, if you have to be out a lot and see many different people, uh, the people that you know, you get used to their voices. And uh, for those of us that are hard of hearing, of course, many of us have hearing aids and our friends expect that we can hear them. But we still need people to speak slower and um, speak towards us because we still watch their eyes and get some message from it 
Yeah. I can't imagine what it must be like for you because I even find the masks, because I wear a mask when I go out most times, if it's just a quick, you know, situation with not many people around, I might, I might do it for a couple of minutes, but I, I wear a mask. And then when you've got a mask on and somebody else has a mask on, it can be difficult to understand what people are saying, even for people that can hear properly. That's right. It, it muffles the sound, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Edna, thanks a lot for this. Really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you, and I'd like to encourage everybody, just let's just keep helping each other. It doesn't matter whether we're hard of hearing or have any other handicap. We all need each other. Great advice. Edna, thank you. You're welcome. All right, uh, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen, good afternoon. How are you, sir? Very good. Good afternoon. Excellent. Looks like it's going to be a nice weekend. I think everybody should get out and enjoy some sunshine in mid to upper 20s. That'll be good for our our mental health, I think. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Yeah. A few uh, interesting stories this week that you and I are going to discuss here. First headline is the silent treatment a form of abuse. Interesting. Mm. Um, So we all know what the silent treatment is. Does it pass that threshold and become abuse in some cases? This is the most underappreciated and and actually one of the more harmful types of abuse that happens. It falls under neglect. Uh, When you neglect somebody, it's not as sensational. uh, It's not as obvious. uh, It doesn't go to the hospital, that kind of thing. But it is emotionally damaging. And And if you can imagine the extreme form, if you had a child and you just put them in a closet and you left them there without any contact, social contact. We hear cases like this, terrible cases every once in a while. Uh, it's extremely damaging and, and arguably more damaging than some other very terrible forms of abuse. Now, I think what we're talking about when silent treatment doesn't go that far, but I go that right. far just to show how significant this can be. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you're experiencing silent treatment, it's not a good sign for your relationship. Um, and uh, there's some things you can kind of look at to see if it's really something that's abusive in your relationship, one is like how extended it is. Uh, If the person's able to talk to others, but not to you, um, that shows that they actually have some ability. They're not just overwhelmed emotionally. They're talking to other people. Maybe they're forming alliances, getting support, but they're still not talking to you. That's another sign that it's kind of going over to that other side, whether it's intended to hurt you. And if that's the case, if they're always the one who decides when they stop or when they actually start talking to you again, uh, if they're using it to pressure you to change, uh, these are some things that are showing that, you know, it's getting to this other side where it's not just somebody who's kind of overwhelmed. Uh, they're actually now getting into that place where they're using it um, and deciding about it and use, and becoming more abusive. Right. And something like that is usually one of a few warning signs, right? Yes. I, I think that um, the kind of, this is just one of those warning signs that people don't normally pick up on. I mean, more common ones would be things like, uh, you know, physical or uh, verbal aggression, um, you know, being more controlling and and making more decisions for the other person. Um, So those kinds of things are are also warning signs. What what you're looking for when you're dating, and I often talk to people about this, is kind of micro forms of more significant abuse. Because if you're seeing even on a first date or, you know, in the initial dating, uh, some micro forms of kind of um, breaking social cues or barriers or, uh, engaging in microaggression, things that might even seem uh, kind of masculine or, so, or or attractive, like I'm going to be protecting you in this situation and being intimidating to others. These can be actually be red flags that those things can be a part of what they'll do with you later. Um, so you are looking for these micro signs in order to protect yourself in relationships. 
Well, and you said microaggressions. That's a a term that we have been hearing a lot of lately relating Mm. to race, right? With all that stuff that's been in the news and being discussed on social media. Microaggressions. So that's, it's it's different, but, you know, still Mm -hmm. the same terminology, right? 100%. And these things are so confusing in relationships, which is why it's important to be able to talk to people uh, or therapists about it, because it can seem hard to distinguish between, well, is this normal behavior or were they just having a bad day? Um, Or is this actually, you know, part of something that's going to lead to something worse or more damaging? Is this something I really need to be concerned about? And, uh, And it's really hard. It's easier to see from outside of a relationship, but it's hard when you're in it because you're compromised emotionally you're not thinking clearly and uh, so it's it's actually in some ways uh, sometimes harder to see than you know things related to race race or ethnicity because you don't have in a relationship you have this emotional fog that actually makes it harder for you to figure out whether you're being abused do you mind if i ask you a quick question about uh, the Mm -hmm. race uh, stuff Uh, we'll go off track a little bit here but i i think this is important especially today because uh, this video surfaced on social media mm. showing this suspect getting arrested and then police came out with more video today and and gave it some more context and and you know, and then the the uh the rally and and uh you know people of color and, and all that kind of stuff um there are whenever you bring this up there are people on both sides about the police mm-hmm. thing there's people on you know people that say i'm not a racist and but yet won't face the fact that maybe they have some biases right we all have biases mm-hmm. um yeah. it, it, they have a, a almost like a preconceived idea of of where they're at on an issue how do how mm-hmm. do we try to meet in the middle somewhere right how do we try and realize yeah maybe maybe i do have some biases that i wasn't aware of or how do we uh, be open to seeing a, a situation like the police arrest that everybody's talking about today and and understand that maybe what I saw wasn't everything and that there is more to the story? How, mm. you, you know what I'm getting at here, Doc? I'm not doing a very good job of explaining it. No, I think I think I understand a little bit of what you're what you're getting at here. And I think what is important, well, these things get so difficult when they get so polarized and so... Um, kind of vehement like you you can't uh you you can't admit to biases you can't admit to kind of the you know the problems that you're having related to any of these issues because then you're you're on that side where you're you know where you're a racist and you can't go there and so then all of a sudden it becomes a very uh you know polarized and and conflictual situation i think like and as a psychologist in our training you know we're dealing with cultural differences and we're dealing with people with very sensitive topics that sometimes affect us. I mean, we're human beings too. And so when somebody comes in and they're talking about an issue and it's like, well, that happened to my brother last week. And, and all of a sudden you're emotionally compromised. Um, we have to be, what we're taught to do is to uh, consider ourselves human and prone to all of these biases, all of these, uh, you know, you know, inherent cultural problems. I think what people need to realize is that our brains are very lazy and they're always looking for shortcuts, which leads most people, or I guess almost everybody, to biases. We kind of create categories. If you're, instead of thinking of every person, all these billions of people as individuals, we think of them as in categories in order to make it easier for us to think about and make decisions and keep ourselves safe. And we use it, our brain will automatically use any differences that we can see, including race, or heritage, or other things like that, uh, create these categories. So it's very natural, and we're, human beings are very prone to racism. So to go around and say, like, I'm not racist, I guess that that's a social term, so I don't want to say, like, I'm racist, because that means a whole bunch of things. But to say that you're without bias is 
incorrect. We have biases. We, our brains automatically create these categories. So I think that's a really big first step is to kind of for everybody just to acknowledge the fact that these things are really hard for our brains to not do and that we're all starting at a deficit and that we all need to kind of work at this and try to understand and appreciate how our brains are engaging in this and when that's appropriate and when it's not appropriate uh, for us to be able to kind of um, understand things in groups. Um, so some, like sometimes it's helpful to think of things in groups, like anything that looks like a doorknob, I should try to turn it. Maybe it'll open, you know, like there's, it's helpful to categorize shapes and, and sizes and colors and different things like that. And sometimes it's not appropriate, but we're all prone to that. So we need to work at first admitting it and then work at kind of acknowledging it and seeing that we all have blind spots and that we're working towards eliminating that in all of us. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and the other example I gave was um, uh, the cop thing. You know, uh, are there bad cops? Sure. We, we, we've seen bad cops in the news of late, but not every cop, not every time a suspect is being arrested because we don't know all the details of that arrest, right? Just because mm-hmm. we see 30 seconds of video and we go, oh my, sure, it's shocking and it's disturbing, but it may not necessarily be a bad cop at work. It might be a good cop doing a bad thing that was necessary. So I just mm-hmm. think we need to keep more of, of an open mind. Anyhow, I got to stop track. I apologize. Um, <laughs> no one more headline here before we take a break with Dr. Cyrus, a new study, 62 countries. So they studied a lot of people, a lot of different people, a lot of cultures. A study of 62 countries finds that people react similarly to everyday situations. So we're, we're very similar. Mm-hmm. We are very similar across countries. In fact, with this, and there's been other research about this as well, which and I love it because it's kind of, again, going against these categories that we typically have. We think about people in other countries as being radically different from us or uh, and and uh, we kind of make that assumption because we see these differences, but oftentimes people are actually way more similar, and, and across countries they're way more similar than we think. Canada in particular apparently is one of the most similar to other countries uh, than, than most countries. Um, so we're a very, we can get along with a lot of other countries because we have a lot of these similar traits. We're in the middle. And, but one of the things that's also interesting is that within countries, people, there's more differences than between countries now. Uh, and, you know, like they've talked about that, like if you're going from one city to another, you think you're having a big culture shock or difference. Well, it's actually a smaller difference for us to go to another city around the world than for us to go to a, a small town within our province. Hmm. That's a bigger cultural leap um, for people to kind of actually have to deal with. So these different, we're, we're not as different as we think. And that's an important message, uh, you know, maybe at this time is to realize that, that yes, there are differences. Um, people approach things differently in different parts of the world, for sure. But the similarities are overwhelming. And they found this by looking at people's emotional responses to kind of cat- like to different situations, like meeting a new romantic partner, watching Netflix, being in a hot room. Like, what emotions are people experiencing? And we're all very similar across different countries. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.